If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. This is Genesis 1, 26-27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over all, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Genesis 3, 1-6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Well, as Alex said, uh, we are launching into this series called Unlimited. And uh, one of the privileges that I have every now and then, about once a month as a location pastor, is I get to preach God's word to you. And uh, that is an incredible joy for me because I just get to stand up here and boast in God for like 30 minutes. Uh, It's also quite daunting for me because I know that no matter how hard I work at studying this book and being in prayer and seeking the face of God and trying to think about how do I say this in a way where where we see more of God and, and see how he's at work in our lives, that as hard as I try to do that, I'm always gonna fall short. Uh, It's kind of like trying to describe space. You know, scientists are like, man, we've seen all of this space in the universe and we're seeing galaxy upon galaxy and galaxies within galaxies and all these, and I don't even know, I, I can't even understand it, but what they're saying is, but we still only know about this much of what actually is out there. And every time we get a telescope that's bigger, we see just how much bigger the universe is that we didn't understand before. And that's kind of how preaching is. It's kind of how studying the Bible is, kind of how walking with God is, is there's so much of God that, that even if we're to study this book our whole lives and then on into eternity forever and ever and ever and ever, we're just going to see more and more and more of God. And so in this series, we're going to be seeking to uh, really do the impossible. We're going to be seeking to describe the indescribable things about God. But it's really important that we do because our perception determines our experience. I'll say that again. Our perception determines our experience. The way we see something determines the way we experience that thing. A.W. Tozer, pastor and author in the 1900s, said, no man will ever rise higher than his thoughts of God. Paraphrase, How you see God affects how you walk with God. How you see him affects how you walk with him. Before I was a Christian, I never thought about God and therefore I never really experienced God. Shortly after I became a Christian, I remember I was on this vacation with my family in New York and I was in this lake house and and I had just become a Christian. I was hungry to know like, who is God and who is Jesus and what does this mean for my life? And so I got out the New Testament. My sister, she had become a Christian the year before and she said, you wanna start in the New Testament? The Old Testament's scary. And and I was like, okay, I don't wanna go there. And then later on, I found the Old Testament's just as great as the New Testament. You just have, you know, the, the New Testament reveals the Old Testament so you can understand what it's all about. It's all pointing to Jesus, but so So I started in the New Testament. I'm just reading through. And I mean, a week, maybe two weeks in, I read through most of the New Testament. And towards the end of our trip, my my dad's like, hey, let's go on a hike. He's kind of 
that kind of guy. You know, let's go on a hike. And so we, we go on one of these Appalachian Mountain trails, and I don't even know what mountain it was, but in the Appalachian Mountain range, and we go up, we get to the top of this mountain, and I see something that looks like this. I Googled this this morning. Uh, but that's about what I saw. I mean, I, I was like, this is probably where I was at. So I remember this little rock right here. And <clears throat> I actually think this may have been the top of the mountain I was on. And I see, I get to the top of the mountain and I see this. And this whisper came into my head and it said, if I can make all of this, I can do whatever I want. And in that moment, I experienced the presence of God. I don't know how to describe it other than to say, I know I was in his presence. And I didn't know whether to raise my hands in worship or to fall on my face in reverence. But I knew I was in the presence of God because I was just beholding a little bit of his beauty. And here's the thing, I had hiked this mountain before, but I had never had that experience before. I had seen that beauty before and I just thought, oh, it's beautiful, it's great, next mountain. But I had never had this experience of meeting with the living God until I opened this book and began to study his words and learn about who he was. And then my mind began to open so that I might experience him. Our perception affects our experience. Uh, if you think about the eclipse, remember the eclipse? Remember that thing that happened that kind of sh you know, shocked us all? Remember that? That happened, the thing happened. And I remember my hometown, about 60,000 people, but it was like right in the middle of one of those you know, map lines to where you're supposed to have the best view of the eclipse. And so all these people traveled hundreds of miles to be in my hometown. You know, they were expecting, they had 60,000 population. They're expecting like two, 300, maybe 300,000 or more people in, just packed into my hometown. And I remember one woman saying she had a farm and she was renting out like camp space on her farm and she's gonna make like 20 grand on the eclipse and just all this stuff. Well, bad news for them, it just poured down rain the whole weekend and so they didn't see anything. I remember this uh, state, I was watching TV before it hit where I was at and there's this stadium full of people in Illinois and they had paid to get in to have this great view of the eclipse. And then right as the eclipse came, so did a cloud. And for the three minutes that the eclipse was there, this huge cloud is just covering the eclipse. And then as the eclipse in, the cloud moves and it's just like, man, that stinks to be. So I'm sorry if that was you, but I was getting a good laugh out of it. And, but where I was at, it was a great view. And I remember being in this backyard, just stare, just, you know, I had the glasses on because I'm gonna respect that eclipse. I mean, I don't look at that eclipse like I'm gonna look at the, a flashlight, you know, like that eclipse can burn your eyes out. And so I had the glasses on and, and even double paired up the glasses, you couldn't see that. So I had to take just one glasses, but I was respecting that eclipse. And I remember just standing in awe, like, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, this is incredible. And then to hear that the, 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 the uh, the, the, the birds flying away because they thought it was nighttime and, and all this chirping. Around. All the animals thought it was like, okay, it's night. And then the atmosphere around to get cool. You can just feel the effects on our earth of the sun, not even being, uh, not even not shining on our earth for a moment, just being limited for a moment. You could feel the effects in the atmosphere. And God says, that's how you treat me. The way you treat that eclipse, that's how you treat me with awe wow, and respect. And that's called the fear of the Lord. Awe and respect is the fear of the Lord. Our perception changes our experience and our experience helps us react the right way. We need our perception of God to change so we can experience God, so we can react with the fear of the Lord. 
Let me talk to you about the fear of the Lord for a minute. Proverbs 1, 7 says, the beginning or the foundation of all knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Proverbs uh, 9, goes, 9, 10 goes on to say that the fear of the Lord is the, is the foundation, the beginning of wisdom. So it's the foundation of knowledge. It's the foundation of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. So if you wanna live a wise life, if you wanna know what God thinks about that job, about that relationship, about your future, then fear the Lord. Moving on, Psalm 115, verse 13 says, he will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. How do you live a blessed life? How do you live a life in such a way that it pleases God and causes him to shower blessing on your life? How do you do it? You fear the Lord. Moving on, Psalm 145, 19, he fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. Let me ask you, do you want God to answer you in your time of need? Do you want God to satisfy you in such a way that your life is full and you're running over? Fear the Lord. So Proverbs 19, 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. We all in this room, we want that kind of life. We want life with God where we lay our head on our pillow at night and we know that there is someone greater and better than us who is running this world in which we live. We want to know when we lay our head down on our pillow that there is someone who is giving us purpose and meaning and we are satisfied in life. God says that comes when you fear me, not me, him. Look at the church that fears the Lord, Acts 9, 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The early church, the New Testament church, the church we read about in these pages is a church that had the peace of God. We want the peace of God that had the strength of God. We want the strength of God that multiplied it. It went out into its community and just multiplied the life of God everywhere it went. How did it do it? by walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. These experiences, they don't come without the right reaction and you don't get the right reaction without the right perception. And so these six weeks, we're gonna do everything we can to expand our thinking, to lift the lid on our minds about our thoughts towards God. Oftentimes, friends, we have too small a view of God and we, we view him as kind of like, you know, our little vending machine or the one who's gonna help us or God, could you please? But actually he is Lord Almighty and we need our mind to be stretched. We need to take away the boundaries we have drawn around him. We need to take the lid off of the box that we think we have put him in and we need to let God out because he is. But we just need to, we need to understand it. We need to see it. And that's what this series is all about. And, there's, and we'll, we'll never get it completely. But, but my prayer for myself and for us, and I would ask you to make your prayer for yourself and us is that God would open our mind to see more of him, that he would expand our thinking, that, 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 that our view of God would go higher and higher and higher every week of this series, then on and on and on until eternity, because the fear of the Lord, us having this view of God, this awe and this reverence or respect for him, that is what's gonna build his church. That is what's gonna build our lives. And so the passage we read earlier, Genesis chapter one, God says he makes man and woman imago Dei. It means in his image. He makes us in his image. What does it mean to make something in your image? Well, the best example we have of this is children. Children are made in the image of their parents. They're their own people. They have their own DNA, their own personality. They're, they're gonna live their own life. They're their own people, but they're made in the image of their parents. They reflect some of the nature of their parents. Some of their personality comes from their parents. Some of their character, their being, even their attributes come from their parents. Now, if you have a kid that looks nothing like either parent, then maybe you wanna ask them, where did that kid come from? You know, but, but 
kids, they reflect the nature of their parents. They're made in the image of their parents. In the same way, Genesis tells us, we, you and I, we are made in the image of God. As much as you see yourself in your parents, we should see ourselves in God. Like we should see some of the nature of God in our lives. And some of the, the image of God in us has been distorted by sin. It's been corrupted. It's become dark. It's become un, very unlike God. But some of our nature and our being will always be like God. For instance, our desire for human relationships, for community, for one another, for people to know us and for us to know them. That will never go away because we're created in the image of God. He's a communal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They forever have dwelled in perfect love. And he created us sharing his community with us that we might dwell with one another and with him. And so our desire for community, it's never going away because we're made in his image. Our desire for love comes from God. When he created you and I, he created us with an insatiable desire for love, a desire that could never and would never be satisfied in anyone other than God himself. First John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. Not that God just is loving, not just that God does loving things, not, not just that he acts loving towards us sometimes, but no, no, God is love which means that God is not only the source of all love, but God is the definition of love. When we wanna know what love looks like, we need not look at a Hallmark card or the next you know, country music song. That can, we need to look at God himself. And as we see more of him and more of the loving nature of God, we'll understand how to love one another and how to receive the love that God has given. Our desire for love comes from God. The desire for recognition to be known, that comes from God. Just earlier this week, we were reading in, uh, in our churchwide Bible reading plan, Jeremiah chapter one. And, and at verse five, I just got stopped in my tracks because it says this. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And one thing that's true about you and I is each and every one of us, we desire deeply to be known for someone to notice us, for someone to care about us, for someone to know the details of our lives. That's why when your spouse gets home, you're just like, let me tell you about this and this and this and this and this. Or, and you boast in your accomplishments because you're like, I just want people to know who I am, what I do. And so you boast about yourself or it's why you go to bed at night and you feel lonely and heartbroken because someone knew you and they didn't love you or they, they, they never took the time to know you. And God wants to minister to you if, if that's the place that you're in today. We all desire deeply to be known and to be loved. And God says, I both know you and I love you. See, every human being, we have this desire in us, but the problem is we fear. We fear if someone fully knows me, they won't fully love me. And so we, we hide away. We, we say, I, I don't want someone to fully know me because they can't, if they, if they do, if they know the deep, dark things in my life, if they know my past, if they know my thoughts, if they know my imperfections, there's no way they'll love me. And so we put on a mask, we put on a front, we fake. But here's the problem, Once, when we fake, and even if they do fall in love with that person, which is probably unlikely anyway, when we fake, if they do love us, they don't actually love us. They love the false version of ourselves that we projected. And so we have this dichotomy where we can't be fully known and fully loved, we have to pick. But either way, we, it fails. Except for in God and in the, the redemptive relationships he gives us in the church because God is love. So he fully knows us. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you before you were a thought in your parents' mind. I knew you before you were a thought in your parents' parents' mind. I knew you before your parents' parents' parents turned on the music in 1904 and made a, you know, I knew you before then. I knew what you were gonna be like. I knew what you were gonna look like. I knew, I knew your, your, what your life was gonna be. I knew the plans I had for you before I 
before I laid the foundations of the earth, God knew us. In his mind, he knew us, which should give us great comfort because Psalm 139 says we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He knows us and he loves us, which means if no one else does our entire lives, who cares? Because he does. We can rest in the knowledge and the love of God over our lives. These desires that he has put in us, these are the communicable attributes of God. These are things that God has put in us, that he has made us in his image. Some other communicable attributes of God. He loves, we can love. He thinks, we can think. He speaks, we can speak. They're they're attributes that God shares with us because we're made in his image. Other attributes that God doesn't share with us, these are called the incommunicable attributes of God. How do you find these out? Well, I am, God is not. God is, I'm not. For example, I am limited to being in one place at one time. God is not limited. He can be in all places at all times, and he is. It's called his omnipresence. I have a limited knowledge. I don't even know what my wife is thinking half the time. But God does not have a limited knowledge. He knows all things at all times. We call that omniscience. I have a limited power. I can barely get my toddler to do what I want. If I say, come to daddy, she goes, and runs away. I have a limited power. God does not have a limited power. He can do whatever he wants. That's called his omnipotence. Those are some of the incommunicable attributes of God's, the, the attributes of God that he does not share with us. It's important that we understand these attributes because it helps us to see, wow, we are very limited. God is unlimited. Uh, There's a lot more, but the one I wanna narrow down on today is the unlimited nature of God. God is unlimited. There is no lid you can put on him, no lid you can put on him, no box you can put him inside, no boundaries you can draw around him. God is unlimited. Isaiah chapter 40, the people of Israel are going into exile. They're, they're gonna be slaves to Egypt and to Pharaoh. And they're like, oh no, like we're going into exile. What are we gonna do? Like God, God, God can't save us. He's too weak. Pharaoh's gonna, he's gonna rule over. What are we gonna do? And they're just kind of having a little spasm and God answers them. And he says, uh, Isaiah 40, 21, do you not know? Do you not hear? You know, it's rough when God's asking you questions. Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, that little Pharaoh, nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stream taken root, stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them, they wither and the temptest carries them off like stubble. God says, you're freaking out about Pharaoh and Egypt and this powerful military force. Well, hey, check this, I'm God. It's not a thing to me. He's like stubble, (laughs) done. God says, I see you, I see your pain, I see the darkness, I see where you're headed, I know the plans I have for your life, I'm with you, I'll see you through, I'll deliver you in my timing. You know, friends, when you and I, when we try and play God in our lives, when we have these little moments of freaking out because we feel like we lost control, which we lost control, we never had control. When our finances go south, when that relationship goes south, when life goes south, when we get sick, when our family member gets sick, God says, I got this. And it's in those moments that we need an expanded view of who God is so that we might lean on him and trust in him with all of our heart and all of our ways and all of our life. 
All the things that make God a God are unlimited. His power, his, his bigness, his intelligence, his wisdom, his knowledge, his creative power, his voice, which upholds the universe just by the word of his power alone. They're all unlimited for God. C.S. Lewis, I did a drawing for you today. Check this out. C.S. Lewis, he said, if you could think of a sheet of paper infinitely extended in all directions. So this sheet of paper, if you just take all four corners and you just expand it out and expand it out and expand it out until the ends of the earth and then out into the universe and just on and on and on and on and on forever and ever. If you take that and then you take a pen and the moment your pen hits the page, it's the beginning of, of history as we know it, the beginning of time as we know it. And then just go over one inch. When you lift your pen off the page, that's the end of all time, the end of human history, which we don't even know the end of yet. We don't know when that day comes. This little one inch line is all of history as we could ever or will ever know it. And the page that just goes on and on and on and on and on and on into the ends of the earth and into, it, into the galaxies and beyond, that's God. He's like mind blown, right? Because this is how our view of God just needs to expand and expand. A.W. Tozer said, we think that the sun is very large with all its planets circling around it. But if you study astronomy, even elementary astronomy, you'll learn that there are suns so large that just one of them could absorb our sun, plus all its planets, plus all the planets that revolve around those planets into itself. They say that there are suns that are so large, you could put millions of our suns into them. He goes on to say, God is above all things, beneath all things, outside all things, and inside all things. God is above, but he's not pushed up. He's beneath, but not pressed down. He's outside, but he's not excluded. He's inside, but he's not confined. God is above all. As the apostle Paul said, there is one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Guys, our view of God needs to get bigger. The godness of God should cause us to stand in awe of God, to fall on our face in reverence and respect. This is what Isaiah, who penned the words we read earlier, it's what happened to him in Isaiah chapter six. It says that he had an encounter with the godness of God. It says he had a vision of the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the angels were calling to one another, shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Sorry, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it says the foundation shook and the house was filled with smoke and Isaiah fell on his face and said, woe is me for I am lost. I'm from a man of unclean lips. He had this encounter with the glory of God and he says, oh, I don't deserve to be here. Friends, that, that's the right response. That's the right reaction to the unlimited nature of the God whom we serve. We should often be falling on our faces saying, oh God, I don't deserve to be here. And then let him say, but I've called you in. He had the right reaction because he had the right perspective and we need that perspective. We need to know, we need to know the godness of God. You know, and unfortunately in, in Western churches and American churches today, this is very uncommon to talk about. It's very uncommon for people to have a living reality of the godness of God because we throw out these cliche statements like, oh, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, he, oh, I'm just singing like he's my prom date. You know, just lovey-dovey Jesus. He's, so, he's my little teddy bear Jesus. You know, that's not Jesus. It's not who he is. We need this, this view of the godness of God. We need that, but we also need a view of the goodness of God 
Because if we only have a view of the godness of God, then we'll just see him as this mean tyrant who just rules the world with a heavy hand. If we only have a view of the goodness of God, then we'll just see him as little teddy bear Jesus. But, but somehow God in his nature, he is both supreme almighty God who is just in all of his ways, who will execute judgment on the earth but he is also full of mercy and loving kindness and ready to forgive anyone who would call on the name of Jesus. Somehow in God, both of these realities are so intertwined that you could never separate them out because it's the nature of who he is. Friends, we need a big vision of the godness of God. We also need a big vision of the goodness of God. In Genesis chapter three, what we read earlier, Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. And if you can imagine, it says they're, they're walking with God in the cool of the garden. I mean, this hot summer day, just like, oh, the cool of the garden. Sounds amazing. You know, just mist and just they're walking with God, naked and unashamed. I mean, it sounds like the good life. They've got the garden, it's fruitful. It's kind of easy for them. They're gonna fill the earth, multiply it, subdue it. And then here comes this serpent, Satan, who whispers to Eve, hey, that tree, why don't you eat of that tree? And Eve, she starts right. She points, she points to the word of God. She says, well, God says we shouldn't eat of that tree because if we eat of that tree, then it's gonna be death to us. And Satan whispers again and he says, did God really say? No, I think God's trying to hold out on you, Eve. Like I think God knows that if you eat of that tree, that it's not gonna be death to you, but it's, it's gonna make you like God. And then you won't need God. You'll be independent of God. You can get yours, Eve. You gotta get yours. And Eve, she, she didn't fight back with the word of God again. She believed. She stepped into that whispering lie and she reached. And here's the thing, you know, her husband is sitting there with her. And this isn't to like blame it all on Eve. Her husband is sitting there with her and he does nothing. Talk about a passive husband. He does nothing. He doesn't speak the word of God to his wife. He doesn't call his wife. No, let's believe God in this matter. Let me stand with you against Satan. Eve, she doesn't run to her husband either. She doesn't run to God or the community of believers that God has put in her life. She's just trying to deal with Satan on her own. That's a bad idea. We shouldn't talk with Satan other than to say, no, no, I know God's word. I'm not buying into that. We definitely shouldn't try and do it alone. It's why community is so important. It's why we need one another to be speaking the truth and love to one another so we're not tossed all over the place. And she reaches. And then it says, Adam, he reached. And they're eating the fruit. And then God says, what happened? And let me tell you something. From Genesis chapter three until 2018, humanity has been reaching for things that God says you can't have. This is gonna give you death. And we reach for it anyway, because instead of believing God's word and relying upon his goodness in our life, we try and get ours. And I don't know what you may be reaching for. You may be reaching for status, and recognition through your career, which is causing you to be a workaholic, which is causing you to neglect your family, which is causing your marriage to break down. You may be reaching for attention through your image, which is causing you to pour way too much time and energy into how you look. It may even cause an eating disorder or other types of disorders because no matter how thin you get, it's just not thin enough. And if you're in that place, God wants you to know that he loves you, he delights in you. You don't need to do that. You can be set free because of the godness and the goodness of God. You may be reaching for love through a relationship, which is causing you to make bad decisions about that guy that you know isn't gonna lead you to Jesus or that girl that you know is not really walking with God. You may be reaching through your kids, trying to make your kids awesome because if they're great, it means maybe you're okay. 
I don't know how you're reaching, but we all reach. And I, th- I thought most of the re- I thought the reaching in my life would end when I became a Christian. Most of it did, but now there's just it's actually a little more subtle because I, I know how to cover it. I know how to hide it. So I'll just get real with you. I reach for a bigger church, for more well-crafted sermons to make me look like a great pastor. And God is saying to me what he says to us, which he said to Eve, which is stop reaching for yours and start resting in the finished work of what Jesus has done on the cross. And for the rest of our lives, we're gonna be tempted to reach and we're gonna need God to call us back to rest in him. And friends, why would we not? I mean, Romans 8, 32 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Why would we reach for ours when God has given his own son for us and he will give us everything that we need for life and godliness? Why would we reach when we can rest? Paul doesn't finish there. He goes on, he says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You can fill that list out by saying, shall cancer or divorce or death, shall past sins or present failures separate us from the love of God in Christ? The answer, no, no, nothing. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, if we simply bow our knees and say, oh, to see the godness of God and oh, to rest in the goodness of God. If we make a decision today, now we're gonna live our life turning towards God's rest and not reaching for our own. God will never, ever let anything separate us from the love of God in Christ. All that God is, he is towards us without limit. His grace towards us knows no end. His love towards you knows no end. His forgiveness towards you knows no end. His comfort towards you knows no end. His provision towards you knows no end. The godness of God and the goodness of God in our lives, it knows no end towards us. He is unlimited in his nature and his character and his loving kindness in his godness. And if we can come to a place of recognizing that and and having the right response to that, which is the fear of the Lord, then our lives, our families, this community, this city will be blessed because of it. As A.W. Tozer said, the church will come out of her doldrums when we find out that salvation is not a light bulb only, that it's not an insurance policy against hell only, but that it is a gateway into God and that God is all that we would have and can desire. Friends, may he be all that we can have. And may we realize that he has all that we desire. May we be like that early church that had peace and was strengthened and was built up and multiplied because we walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit.